Back in the early 90s, Stephanie Scherzer and her partner went to look at a four-acre property in East Austin. The land was in bad shape, but they thought it had potential, so they bought it. And they started to think about how they could use the land for good and to serve the community. First, they hosted social events and gatherings for their friends, birthday parties, weddings, fundraisers for nonprofits. But soon, Stephanie started growing food on the land and she quickly realized she'd have to figure out what to do with everything she was growing. One day, she decided to see if a local restaurant, Vespayo, had any use for it. She walked up, knocked on their back door, and you'll never guess who answered. More on that later. Anyway, the answer was yes, and things took off from there. Today, Stephanie runs Farmhouse Delivery. She describes it as an online farmer's market specializing in organic produce, sustainable meat, and groceries. Their mission is to connect communities with their land and make local food more accessible. So who did answer that back door at Vespayo? And what happened from there that would eventually lead to Stephanie starting farmhouse delivery? Well, Stephanie is going to fill us in on all of that today. I'm Frank Garza, and this is Austinites. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, Frank. I'd like to start with the the four acres of property that you bought in East Austin in the early 90s that would later become Rain Lily Farm. Um, can you take me back to that moment when you went and saw that property for the first time? You know, what were you what were you looking for and what do you remember about about the first time you saw that property? <laughs> Well, you know, I wasn't really looking for something like this. Um, We fell upon it. So I had, at the time, been involved uh, with the natural gardener and been into plants. And we were running a small landscape business and needed a property with some land or or really just space. We didn't even call it land then because we we were running a landscape business out of a duplex in central Austin. And I remember... um looking at it and uh it had four acres and a small 1940s bungalow house and the house was in good shape had good bones and the land was a wreck it was uh east austin um it had been abandoned it was a rental for many years and so the land itself was completely overgrown filled with <laughs> a couple vehicles some homeless camps um, but it had beautiful pecans on it, and it was bordered by a school on one side and a drainage easement on the other, so no real neighbors. And uh, we walked from one end to the other and thought, wow, there is so much potential here. I don't think most people would look at it as such, but because we were into native plants and well-adapted, we could see, you know, had the vision of what yeah, what the potential was there. Did you know from that first, uh, that first visit that, okay, we're, <laughs> we, we need to move on this property or did it take some time to, to kind of arrive at that point where you saw the potential? Well, it's, you know, it was the second piece of uh, like second house we had looked at with our realtor. And um, so I really wasn't even, you know, sure that we, I wanted to even purchase a, a house. And so um 
but we did. I knew almost immediately. I had a couple friends come out and meet me on the property. One was uh, someone that runs a theater company here in town. Uh, at the time, it was called Present Company. And she stood under this, there's this place on the property has these three trees that form this like beautiful kind of area. And she said, I could see doing Shakespeare here and theater and, you know, another friend said something else. At that time, I didn't know it was going to be a farm or anything. It just was, well, here's all this land. It would be a great investment. We'd have room to spread out our plants. We were growing a lot, you know, have a nursery. And, yeah, we put an offer on it within, I think, you know, 48 hours and um, got it. You know, developers were also looking at it. But at the time, the gentleman that owned it, we wrote him a, you know, a letter saying that we really wanted to use the land for good, let's say, you know, we wanted to develop it in a, a different way, kind of for the community and to grow things and have space. And uh, he saw me walking around looking at the trees uh, when he drove by one time and, and we were kind of identifying the species that were there and, and said, you know, I'm going to give you all this opportunity. And that's, you know, we were able to buy it. So I was reading a um, article um, called Changemaker Chats. I think it's from a, a talk that you gave with that organization. They had an article summarizing the talk. And um, I want to read um, a quote from the article that stood out to me. It says, as soon as Stephanie and her partner, Kim, secured the land in East Austin, they began to think about how they could use it to serve the community. Mm-hmm. So why? Why did you start thinking that? What made you start thinking that? Why was that important to to you both? I think our group of friends were artists and chefs and uh, people that work for nonprofits. And it, it, it just, it felt like when we were able to purchase it, like the responsibility of having four acres in the city felt like something I wanted to share. And, you know, I believe that the city's, you know, to thrive, we need these sacred spaces in the city that we can come together and, you know, explore the arts and, you know, it's for us, it became where people, our friends got married, our children celebrated birthdays and Easter egg hunts and, um, you know, Austin Pets Alive were able to come and do fundraisers and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. I I just, something, we've always operated communally. I think we have a tight group of friends. We've raised our kids together. Um, at that time, we didn't have kids. We just partied on it and had a blast, you know, <laughs> pre-kids. Uh, <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, yeah, that's, I think that's, yeah, that, that, that's what hit, I don't know why, but that's, that's what one of my first thoughts were, you know, is to have this really special place and open it up. And so how did that lead that that need to serve the community or want to want to you know use that property to serve the community how did that lead to um you starting to farm how did that how did those two tie in together So um like I said you know I I was working at the Natural Gardener and fell in love with uh native well adapted just plants in general and um I had never really lived in a place in Austin that had sun full sun to be able to grow food and so i was curious about it and um it started you know my 
dear friends, Carol Ann Sale and Larry Butler live down the street with Boggy Creek Farms and they're, you know, less than a mile away from us. And so I had been going out to Boggy since they really started from National Gardener days, you know, and I thought maybe I'll do a, a complimentary uh, farm uh, to their farm and have a pick your own blackberry farm was my first idea. And, you know, we, um, in order to get the land ready, we brought in some goats that were pregnant and had babies. They ate the poison ivy and cleared the land. There was two years of just kind of working with, we built their house on a trailer. We would move the goats through the property and, and clear them. And then we would start to till up the earth. So I thought, okay, I'm going to clear one, two, three rows and plant these blackberries. Um, and I killed all of them. <laughs> it's hard to grow uh, blackberries and raspberries. Um, and uh, I was a terrible berry farmer, it turns out. And so I tried growing a few vegetables and had success. And that led me to figure out what to do with the produce that I had grown. And so I went to Vespaio, actually, uh, and I had a friend. Well, I didn't he wasn't a friend at the time, but I knocked on the back door and I said, I have three bags of these beautiful peppers. Would y'all be interested? And Jesse Griffiths, who started Daidue, was the young chef that answered the back door at the time at Vespaio and said, absolutely. You know, and I was like, wow, that's cool. I just literally <laughs> sold something that I grew, <laughs> you know? That is and cool. So, yeah, it was really cool. It felt really good. And, um, you know, I got really into it and started growing more things and got into heirloom varieties and pickling and canning. And um, so, yeah, that's how it started. And um, it kind of grew from there. Was that your, you know, growing uh, the, you know, the growing the berry story that you just, that you just told um, at your property, was that your first time growing something or um, had, had you tried, out, tried before? Yeah. 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 Growing yeah. food. That, that's, uh -huh. that was the first time there, you know, like we, I had, I'd been selling plants and, and, you know, I, I, I ran the natural gardener for like four or five years and we had started a line of bagged, you know, ladybug brand, a CPG brand in the gardening world. And, but it was my first time to really try growing edible plants. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Dallas, and uh, I had none of this in my background, like in the city of Dallas, you know. So my dad had maybe one tomato plant in his backyard, you know, our backyard over the years. But So you mentioned that um, everything kind of grew from there. Um, and so I know eventually that, um, you know, it turned into Rain Lily Farm. Um, eventually it's turned into Farmhouse Delivery, which is the company that you ran that you run now, uh, how did, how did it grow from, you know, that, that first time you knocked on the back door to now you're running farmhouse delivery. I continued to sell to Vespaio and then tried at the farmer's market on Saturdays, but was still working uh, with my partner, Kim at a landscape, um, you know, doing our landscape company. And I realized that it's a really, hard thing to do to grow your own food distribute it market it sell it uh, go to the farmers markets and that there was a true need for distribution of local food and it's much harder to feed your community than a big commercial size farmer to ship it across the country you know but that piece of and I kind of got obsessed with how 
can I get this quality and level of food into my neighbor's hands? How can they taste and experience this that I was going through as I tasted, you know, how different a cucumber tastes when it comes right off the plant or a tomato or really anything. And so I had a friend that was a very talented chef and a writer and she uh, came over and started talking to me and was like, wouldn't it be interesting if we could, you know, buy from this farm, but other farms like Boggy and those around you and aggregate the best of what's in season and deliver it to people's homes. And I was like, wow, what an idea, <laughs> you know, and we literally uh, over the course of like a month of just talking about it and figuring out the details and things like I'll do the operation side. You tell the stories, take pictures, teach people, and we'll take them on this journey. Uh, so it was a very simple, you know, two bundled product, you know, a bundle of a large and a small kind of basket size. And, and that's really how it started. I mean, we had a party and invited everybody we knew. We cooked gumbo. We talked about what our idea was. And we took down email addresses on a legal pad. And we started emailing people the next week and said, okay, we're available for delivery. This is who will, this is what we'll have. And this was, you know, 11 years ago or, you know, close to 12, I guess now. But the idea of delivering to the door was not, <laughs> wasn't around. This is pre Instacart and pre, you know, so um, it was kind of revolutionary and, and it took a model. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the CSA model, but community supported agriculture is what that stands for of, you know, where people invest in a certain farm and help, you know, pay for the seeds and the crop. And then they commit to 12 weeks of whatever comes out of the field. But we were, kind of taking that and, and improving it a little bit, I think, in that we would deliver it, we picked from multiple farms, so you got a better selection. Um, and yeah, and we were doing uh, lots of recipes and support to make people successful in, in the journey with it as well. Is that still the mission of Farmhouse Delivery or how would you describe what you guys are doing um, today? So today, how I would describe it is that we're an online farmer's market um, specializing in organic produce, uh, sustainable meat, and groceries, and we still deliver to people's doorsteps. So our mission is to connect communities with their land and making local food more accessible. And, and now we deliver to, you know, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, and Austin. And a lot of communities in between New Braunfels and Marcus, Waco. So I want to read you another quote um, from that Changemaker Chats article that I referenced earlier. Um, it says about you, she believes in the benefits of small-scale urban farming and that if each family just grew a single edible plant in their backyard, that we could all contribute. Um, how would you define small-scale urban, urban farming? Hmm. Um, and maybe how is it different than just gardening in your backyard? Yeah, that's good. I like that distinction. I, you know, there is a lot of, um, we see it in Detroit and elsewhere. There's a lot of usable space that could be used for growing food. And so I think where urban farming, a distinction there is that at a small scale like that, you have to be very um, entrepreneurial, uh, more so because you, the taxes are higher, the land costs are obviously more, and it's 
um, that's why you see so many farmers doing events and public and, you, you know, community events as well. It's, and so the difference is, is that the school children and so many of our community can see the actual growing up, you know, up close. And we did so many school tours at Rain Lily, and it's amazing to see so many children not knowing any idea where their food comes from, that it grows on a plant, what it tastes like, and how open they are when they can see, you know, the, the entire process in front of them. And so I, I think a lot of times we get inspired and we think, I'm going to go out and I'm going to I'm going to grow a garden this year and people try to put together a 20 by 20 <laughs> garden and they kill themselves on the bed prep or they build these raised beds and then they haul in all the soil. And I just think it's so important to encourage people to just start with a small project and be successful and, and get the bug, get inspired, you know, and I think introducing children to um, it just teaches that life cycle of the plants, you know, from seed. Like yesterday, I, I planted some seeds with my three-year-old, you know, um, and it just instills that interest from an early age. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there's a size on urban farms. I've seen, you know, Hospar Farms, a good friend of mine, she's on a half acre, you know, up to Boggy Creek that's farming more three to five acres. Um, but I think it's the, the distinction is that they're in this urban setting, <laughs> right amongst and backed up into these communities. And the way that we're able to, you know, we did the East Austin Urban Farm Tour. All four of our farms operate completely different and show people all the different things that are achievable. So I, I think the difference is that they're sustainable in that there's a diversity in crops because you have to make every inch <laughs> count. <laughs> and so, you know, there's, um, I plant olives and figs and peaches and pears and plums, um, lots of annual crops, uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and such, and then perennial herbs and flowers that come back each year. And so it's this palette that you're constantly building and layering on top. So I live in an apartment. Uh -huh. Um, I don't have a yard or, you know, any outside space. If I want to do some farming or just grow some crops, what would you suggest for somebody like myself or somebody who's in, in my shoes? Do you have any, do you have sunlight that comes in on your patio at all? I don't even have a patio. Uh-huh. I would, ex uh, uh, something I got exposed to last year and w went and worked for a year, or this was probably two years ago now, was a company called Lettuce Grow. And they do hydroponic, um, it's a vertical hydroponic system with lights that I have been so impressed with. And I, you know, someone that has grown in the ground for years and years to experience the efficiency and the water efficiency, the quality the freshness of the, the food as well, because you're literally, the roots are still attached, the nutrient, you know, dense of, of these plants. That would be my recommendation. Otherwise, if you had sun, and you can use these outdoors, they're indoor or outdoor, um, you know, it's really hard. You It requires sunlight. So you can't really grow vegetables without it. And so if I did have a patio or somebody does have a patio to get some sunlight, what would be your suggestion? Um, or, or a way for them to try this out or get started? Um, depending how much light that they have, tomatoes would need require more, but lettuces and herbs are a really great thing. You know, I think it's just so rewarding and it's so attainable because it's such a quick process. 
things want to live. And, and it's really when you participate in that, um, I feel like it also gives you more an opinion of food out there in the world. And that, that's lettuce grows mission is can we inspire people to grow, you know, 20% of their food within 20 feet of their door, you know? And I, I think that kind of mindset or even growing on a patio like that, it just, the, brings your education level up, makes you more of an informed consumer and, and gets you asking more questions about, okay, well, this just took me this long to grow this basil plant. What, you know, what, what else, what, you know, how far does this travel or that, or does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does. What would you, what do you think are the biggest like challenges around growing food in, in East Austin or not in East Austin, but in Austin, in the Austin area. Yeah. I always say, if you can grow food in central Texas, you can grow food <laughs> anywhere in the world. <laughs> I think we have one of the most challenging places, uh, as we all know, erratic temperature changes, sometimes 40 to 60 degrees in a 24 hour period, really, uh, traumatizing on, on plants. <laughs> and, you know, insects and our humidity and high temperatures and intense sun. Um, all of those <laughs> are a factor. You know, we have lots of different insects that love to live here. So I think uh, being understanding of that and not giving up and, you know, it's really around soil health. You, it's like I always say, compare it to childhood. It's like if you have a good foundation and you, the soil has been, you know, tilled and there's good nutrients in it and it's dense, you'll have better success throughout the whole process. But it is possible. We also have a very long growing season as well. So I'm not saying that you can't grow here, but it, it is one of the more challenging places to grow. What are some of your favorite things to grow? And, um, what seasons, what season do you enjoy, uh, growing food in the most? I love growing in the winter. I think the winter garden in, in Austin is one of the, you know, most successful. The weeds are down. We get some rain, which helps, um, fava beans are a lot of fun to grow in the winter time. Um, they're just really interesting, but I, I also just love a homegrown tomato. So I'll have to throw that in there as well. I don't know if anything tastes better. Um, but I, I really love to grow a wide variety of things, but those might be too. So we've, we've talked about the small scale urban farming. I know that um, for you, you know, getting your food, sourcing your food from local uh, farms um, is really important. So just getting locally produced and locally sourced food is really important. Um, I'm curious how you, how do you integrate those principles into your just daily life, you know, um, and just maybe to get put better context to it, you know, my routine is I go to the grocery store once a week and get all my groceries and come home and make meals. What, what is your food? Uh, what, what, what is your food gathering, um, or your daily life like, um, in that regard? Yeah. Well, I've been a customer of Farmhouse for 11 years. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's um, so I get a weekly delivery and kind of start there. And it's a different mindset when you participate in eating, committing to eating in season. So it's very varied of what is literally coming out of the ground. 
Um, but I still um, go to the grocery store about once a month, you know, where I can't uh, serve my needs is around my kids' snacks, kind of for their lunches and stuff. Um, I cook all the time. I cook when I'm stressed. I cook to relax. I cook in the morning. Usually I'm cooking that night's dinner or doing some prep. So I'm, I'm always looking ahead and kind of looking and assessing what I have. Um, I think when you eat this way, you get a little closer to your food as well. So I can feel it when I'm like, oh boy, I need to get through this really quick or it's going to go bad. And so I, you know, there's a lot of tricks there of either making kale chips or pre cut, you know, just kind of things. But I, I, I still love going to farmer's markets. I try to get over to Boggy Creek uh, as well. And, and yeah, that's, you know, what's cool about farmhouse is that we do meal kits and you can get a produce box or you can get part, you know, fully prepared. So it's usually a combination of what I know I can put together, you know, two or three meals from scratch. And then a couple where I might take a component like our ragu and cook up some pasta and call that dinner. What's your most popular or top selling meal kit from, from um, farmhouse? I mean, it, we change them really kind of weekly. We have a, a rotating menu, but we also have some that we have stick around. So what you would think in Texas, honestly, a, a tortilla soup does really well for us. It's a really great, great kit that people can cook at home. They just add it to their chicken that they cook and it's ready to go. Uh, carbonara um, is another good, great pasta um, dish that we do. I, I've, we've partnered with some restaurants um, and they're doing uh, like the Loco de Oro. Uh, we've carried their lasagna that they make in house. The pasta is made with local eggs. It's seasonal. It pivots super tasty. If you could convince the, so, you know, the average person like myself that I just described, who, you know, goes to the grocery store once a week, does cooking at home, eats out a few times a week. If you could convince the average person to do one thing different um, with regards to food, um, what, what would that be? I, you know, I think it'd be around um, asking where their food comes from or specifically their meat, the proteins and understanding. Um, I'm going to go a little bit out, you know, speaking of just our environmental impact right now of, of, you know, where we are carbon and sequestering carbon, like regenerative and sustainably raised meats is um, a true way that I believe that we could make a difference. If the, you know, we love our protein or beef in this country and I think if it was raised more sustainably on pasture that had some of that diversity in mind, that it's actually sequestering the carbon into the, the soil and, and can start reversing the negative effects of the climate change. And that's something just understanding and thinking before consuming on, on certain levels, I think, is something that we could do. I try to eat meat that I know at least where it came from. And so starting to ask questions around sourcing. I try to support restaurants that are doing the same. Um, part of 
eating local is also the local flavor profile and understanding. So when we travel, you get to taste a, a whole uh, different <laughs> type of food based on all of it from the, the food that's grown there and the animals that and people prepare it and understanding that. So getting into the regional, I think, is a, a good way to start this journey. Are there any restaurants in Austin that come to mind as, as being examples of doing that well? Yeah, I mean, um, Salt and Thyme, uh, Daidue, Loco de Oro, Suerte, Emmer and Rye, The Steeping Room, Vespaio. Yeah, Vespaio does an amazing whole animal. They bring in and butcher an entire cow a week or pig or Oh wow! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's switch gears a little bit, and um, I know part of you know being an entrepreneur and running a business is having to adapt to unexpected things or changes. And um, I've I've read that your business had to adapt quite a bit or change quite a bit during COVID. Um, so I know we're over a year into this. And so it might just seem like normal life right now, but um, how did you guys have to adapt um, or change once, once COVID happened last year? Yeah, it was, it was quick, fast and furious, you know, really for us, it was like over a 72 hour period that um, our business grew astronomically for us. It felt like, um, and we made some pivots. So, uh, Pre-COVID, we were delivering both wholesale and retail, so direct to consumer and to restaurants. And when the restaurants shut down, um, we put that part of our business on pause so we could focus on demand for a direct to consumer. Um, and when we did that, we immediately started uh, what we call Project Takeout, which was a restaurant partnership program because we wanted to help those restaurant partners still, you know, uh, have some income. So we worked with Loco de Oro first and then kind of moved through. Uh, I think we've worked with other 20, maybe 20 to 25 different restaurants now. And we just figured out four to five dishes each um, that we could, that were fully prepared or something that they made in house that we could sell and distribute to our customer base. So that was a really fun uh, project for us and, and also helped I think a lot of restaurants kind of keep going and keep some people staffed which was great um, I also um, started I realized we needed to be more of a full stop kind of grocery solution for people and so we found a partner in California that is called Veritable Vegetable, woman-owned. Uh, they deal with all organic produce growers in California and vet them very similar to farmhouse, high standards, go and do farm visits and their partnerships. And so we figured out uh, the shipping and how to do that and, and started to offer a, a wider selection, not just local, so people could uh, shop with us. Um, more fully. And then we added about three to 400 different um, grocery SKUs as well. Um, so that again, we could be more of a full service store. And then, you know, internally we did things like um, we work around the clock here. We have three different shifts. People start at four in the morning and people work till one in the morning and um, 
to help spread people out and the assembly lines and, you know, with COVID safety and sanitizing department and um, internally where we were cleaning um, everything. And uh, we um, started also uh, just increasing our kitchen offerings as well. Uh, and so, yeah, we grew quite a bit. Well, let's talk about Austin. Um, I know you mentioned that you um, grew up in Dallas, um, but what is your Austin origin story? Why did you win and why did you move here? Well, I moved here right after college. Um, I uh, was attracted to the green space and to uh, the liberal mindset much more than, than Dallas. And Came here just in my 20s, searching and couldn't, you know, did some temp jobs and got into either was going to go work for a caterer or for a plant nursery when I first landed and found my way into the plant world and kind of fell in love and stayed on that track. Why was it those two things, caterer, nursery, that you mm-hmm. were trying to choose between? Yeah, that's funny. I, you know, I got a degree in political science and I was headed to law school and um, I did an internship over in parliament and I, uh, for the labor party. And I just decided I didn't want to get into politics. I think I was just searching for something that I loved. And um, those were two things I knew nothing about. And I was curious and thought, well, I'll just do a little part-time gig. And, you know, while I figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. And uh, once I stepped into the plant world, I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Yeah. Here yeah. you are. Here I am. <laughs> Don't think that was a good decision. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> what is your favorite neighborhood in Austin uh, and why? And you know, what are some of your favorite places and things in, in that neighborhood? Wow. You know, it's funny. Like we've, um, Kim and I, lived at the farm for 18 years and we moved off uh, and have been renting for the last three years, trying different neighborhoods. Um, Yeah. So we um, still have the farm. We're still growing herbs there, but um, we have two children now. So it was a two, one and 1200 square feet. We kind of outgrew it. Um, So I just lived in Barton Hills two years ago and fell in love with that neighborhood, mainly because of the green belt um, and the convenience of everything. And now we're living up in um, Allendale, closer to farmhouse, my warehouse here. So Crestview kind of area um, and are really enjoying it as well. I, 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 we didn't have neighbors all those years and it's been really fun for the kids actually to, you know, have some community for them and have big parks and stuff running around. But I, so I'm not sure, you know, I, uh, when I moved to Austin, Clarksville was my hood and, you know, then I was an East Austiner forever and love it over there as well. So I'm a fan of just central Austin, I think is the only way I could, you know, and what all the neighborhoods offer, you know, because we like to walk a lot and ride bikes. So it's where we can get to by foot. I don't know Allendale very well. What are some of your favorite places in Allendale? Um, you know, Taco Deli, El Dorado. Uh, there's great dog park. Um, the St. Edwards over off 2222 is one of our favorite hikes to do. Um, 
I'm loving the Shoal Creek bike trail that just goes forever. Seems like you can just ride for miles and miles. Um, there's uh, also, uh, I think that Zen fast food is another local haunt that's really good. They do a little pop-up peeler wagyu burger, which is kind of fun. Um, just learning about it. We've only been uh, over here for like three months. I'd love to hear about your perfect Austin day. Mm. Can you tell me about that? And to give that some context, let's say that you're out of town for a couple weeks for whatever. You've just got back to Austin. You know, you're home and you're like, man, I missed Austin mm. tomorrow. I want to have just a perfect yeah. day. What does that look like for you? Yeah. Well, if it's been a couple of weeks, I'll probably be in need of a taco. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, I, I laugh sometimes that in Austin we can eat three tacos, you know, for each meal, right? Sometimes I'm going to bed and I thought, man, I had breakfast tacos and then I had taco for lunch and taco for dinner. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think that that's common elsewhere. Um, so also, you know, we love to, we're, we love to hike. And, and so I think, and have picnics. So I think for me, a perfect Austin day is going out, getting out somewhere, whether it's a lake or a trail or something on the green belt and having a picnic with my kids and letting them just discover and explore nature. Really. Um, I love a good afternoon at Perla's eating oysters and having a nice glass of bubbles. I love, um, my friends over at the Launderette, you know, is another, I think, just stellar spot. Um, when we lived at the farm all those years, Justine's was our neighbor. And so going down to that restaurant, walking to a French bistro with three blocks from an urban farm was pretty uh, stellar, ideal. You know, when my my oldest, who's now nine, uh, was, you know, first in her stroller. I think that was her first place we went, <laughs> which is pretty funny, you know, but, uh, you know, they also have kids and are so accommodating and sweet, but it's also, you know, a great late night jaunt as well. So. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. We'll wrap up here. Um, but before we do, I wanted to make sure and give you the the floor for um for you to share anything we may have missed any um announcements about your business or really just any message you want to get out into the world uh, the floor is all yours mm. it's an open open blanket here i i i think i want to talk a little bit about you know and some of this was in the questions before but entrepreneurship here in Austin and just what a supportive environment it is. And for me, this journey was following my passion. But I think now that um, I say that we're one of the oldest startups <laughs> because, you know, pre-COVID to now we had this growth and we got to this place of sustainability that we were fighting to get to, you know, distribution of local food is, is a challenging business just on its own and something that we all, well, not all, but it's just something that I've been working on. And it, this idea of, um, is it possible to feed your community that with the food that's grown there? And with this past ice storm that we just had, as well as with COVID, for me, it, it really was very affirming that um, regional 
and you know local distribution systems do work in crisis and we are able to come together and feed the people that we need to you know both places we both times we were able to rally and get food out to people that were in need and that was uh just really affirming i guess for the work that i've done and also because you know the the milkman you know milking delivers their own milk you know the the farmers the system didn't break as we saw big distribution chains uh, you know across the country really fail um we really rose and were able to take care of our own and i think it's something that we need to continue to learn from going into the future and support these systems because it's been a crazy year as we all know <laughs> And so, you know, I, I'm sure there's more of it coming and, um, Ooh, I hope not. Yeah. Well, I hope not either, <laughs> but I, I don't know, you know, so I, that, and I, I think too, you know, for young entrepreneurs that want to get involved, one thing I didn't know is understanding how you want the next phase of your business to go or to grow, um, almost how, knowing your exit before you start so that you know what you're growing towards, I think is a really important thing that I wish somebody would have told me when I started. Um, it just it just helps bring some focus that's needed in, when you're trying to grow and scale a business. Thank you, Stephanie. Yes, thank you, Frank. Thanks for listening to Austinites. If you enjoyed the show, can you do us a favor and share it with a fellow Austinite? That will help us build more community, which is what we're all about here. You can also follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast medium is to get notified when new episodes are released.